Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. All right. So let's move into some practice together. Moving into your posture. And allowing to come to mind your intention, intention for your practice. This could be your intention for today's practice or your intention for your practice overall. Why meditate? Why be on the path for you personally? And paying attention, paying homage to the beings, your teachers, teachings, the lineages. That have offered you wisdom. May have had an impact on your life in a positive way. Just bringing them into the space with you by opening your heart with gratitude, appreciation. And as you turn ever inward, taking refuge, taking refuge in Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, just taking refuge in your Buddha nature, the part of you that's already free, liberated, at ease. Taking refuge in the Dharma, just truth. The truth and clarity of this moment. Taking refuge in the Sangha spiritual friends as we sit here together, taking refuge. We're all here trying together. And also knowing that you're your own spiritual friend. You could rely on and be there for yourself. 
And as you turn ever inward, building up some motivation, energy, spiritual urgency for the practice. Contemplating the four thoughts that turn the mind towards Dharma. Starting out by reflecting for a few moments in this precious human life, in this opportunity to practice. Reflect on how rare and precious it is to have heard the Dharma, liberation through inner work, independent of external circumstances. How rare and precious that you have resonated with this teaching that is reliable and sustainable. How rare and precious is it that you have a body and mind that is able to practice? And how precious and rare is it that you have an environment that is suitable for practice, even in a general sense, not perfect, but doable. How fortunate. And next think that for these causes and conditions to come together, it's incredibly rare. And next think about impermanence. That all though these things are incredibly rare, they're also impermanent. And if they have all come together, this is truly a precious gem, a moment of practice. Just to have a single moment of practice, incredibly amazing, a moment of turning inward. to think any of those things can change. Feeling the preciousness of this, this opportunity.
And then next, contemplating karma, which means action. What action would you like to take given this precious opportunity? Actions that lead to more wholesome attitudes of mind or unwholesome. So contemplating for a few moments the benefit of kindness, compassion, wisdom, the benefits of awareness, of meditation. And the final contemplation on dukkha or unsatisfactoriness of external conditions. External conditions not permanent, so therefore they will never be reliable, sustainable. This final contemplation just con concretes the idea that we must find it within. It's definitely not outside. Even if everything came together perfectly and harmoniously, it would be impermanent. I have to find it within. And I have this precious opportunity to do so right here, right now. Practicing non-grasping mind as things arise. No need to follow them, but instead relax the mind. in wakeful awareness. Resting the mind in its natural state of non-doing. Simply collecting the awareness in each moment back into the present.
Welcome everybody. So today I want to chat about um, the, the mind and stillness and kind of just talking about this and uncovering what that means, the mind and stillness. How do we get there? How do we stay there? Is it even possible? <laughs> Is it good even to, to be there? When we're thinking about the, the mind and stillness, I think one thing, this is um, something that we grasp to quite a bit, especially in the beginning. Like I hear this all the time. My mind's not still. Um, how do I get the mind to be still? I want my mind to be still. Um, I'm crazy. <laughs> Why is my mind all over the place all the time? Um, it's never going to be still. Uh, I've been practicing for a long time. You know, it's still this way. <laughs> uh, yeah, so let's just un let's just uncover it a little bit. You know, I think what I've noticed is, let's say if I'm working with a group of people or, or I'm working with somebody new um, individually, I notice that right away they are usually looking for. Um, depending on the situation, but a lot of times it's more technique based, you know, like look, people are, are looking to learn about meditation. And I recognize that within myself, I'm not really looking for anyone to understand how to meditate, I'm not looking for someone to understand, you know, noticing when the mind's wandering and coming back um, to the breath or coming back to an anchor. I'm not most, I'm not really concerned with that. I'm, I'm more concerned with them understanding why and understanding the, the philosophical underpinnings on why one would want to do that. If we could understand that, then, then the techniques happen by themselves. And I didn't, I didn't really plan to do this, but I just happened to do it today. I kind of went through a more traditional practice, a more traditional sadhana, if you will, today when we meditated. And we went over these, these elements that are very kind of standard in, in many traditions. And they're there because they lead us to a still mind automatically. Right, these contemplations. So we, we started out with intention. We started out with why are we doing this? So I, I invited you to reflect on, on the intention itself. In many traditions, there's an altruistic attitude. There's an altruistic, a, a general altruistic intention. Let's just use like, may I attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings or may I reach liberation for myself and, and for others. So we can contemplate, you know, what, what is it about this, this intention that can lead to the stability of mind, a calm mind? And, and these, these, these intentions that we see throughout, you know, kind of all times and all religions, and this very core belief that we're, we're, we're attempting to benefit others, so we could reflect on this. What is it about this intention? Even self-compassion, if, it, if, it's, if it's turned just for yourself, you know, you had compassion, right? I, I want to do this because I want stress relief. I, I want to do this because um, I'm not sleeping at night. I want to do this because of, you know, fill in the blank. At the root of that is some sense of compassion. Like you're trying to relieve some sort of suffering. This is our intention for coming to the path very generally speaking. Then paying homage to having respect for the teachers and the teachings, the lineages. This is very common to have respect for, for one's teachers. And this could be in the category as well as of devotion. What is it about this that calms the mind? And I don't need to fill in you know, an, an answer at all. We don't need to talk about it. You could just check in experientially. When devotion is present, when devotion is, is present in your beingness, what is the quality of mind? 
And even if just, we don't even need to meditate on it, but go ahead and just check in. When devotion is present, when gratitude is present, what is the quality of mind? So then we looked into taking refuge, taking refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. So these, these are affecting our minds too. And this is maybe very, very central into if we, if we, could, if we can grasp why we want to take refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, we're really getting close to understanding the mind in stillness. The reason is, is because the Buddha, Dharma, Sangha ultimately are within. And this is the big turning away from, turning away from the grasping to external things. So habitually we're grasping onto these external things and we're relying on them. We're taking refuge in them. But the act of taking refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, there's this there's an idea automatically that it's not outside anymore. It's like, okay, I've done that. I'm turning inward. Where is the stillness in, in non-attachment to the external? And we could see just kind of these, these, these layers, and these are more philosophical, um, but, but experiential ways that we're stilling the mind even before we start the practice, quote unquote, we're not even started the meditation practice. But all of these things are moving the mind towards stillness automatically before we even begin. And more clarifying, the four thoughts that turn the mind towards Dharma, reflecting the preciousness of learning about inner resource tools because of the unreliability of things that are outside of ourselves. This is very, very clearly moving towards stillness. Recognizing impermanence, which, which when we recognize impermanence, again, helps us for non-grasping mind. Why would we want to grasp things that are impermanent? Reflecting on action, this is huge. Reflection, reflecting on the experiential taste of cultivating the wholesome and, and reflecting on what happens when we cultivate through our attention, when we cultivate the unwholesome. And then again, reflecting on dukkha, the, un, the imperfections, the unsatisfactoriness of things that are conditioned. So, this is before we even start, even before we start the practice. So the, the practice itself in a nutshell is really turning the mind towards the mind. So we're turning the mind towards the mind. We're taking refuge in the mind ultimately. We're turning inward towards the mind. And so one reflection is is why, why are we turning the mind on the mind? Why don't we turn the mind on something external, like something like anything? It could be a, it could be a singing bowl, it could be a chair, it could be a bicycle, it could be whatever. Why is it that in all of these things that we're turning the mind on the mind? We're turning towards the mind. And we see that the mind itself has certain qualities and one quality that they really emphasize in Vajrayana or Mahayana path is the quality of spaciousness. This is very key, you know, this space-like quality or sky-like quality of the mind. So I'm gonna unpack this a little bit. The spaciousness of the mind, this is very, very key. It's very key in that in this spaciousness of mind, uh, let's just talk about external space. Let's start here. Because I think this is, this is a, a good doorway into the spaciousness of mind. 
there's an, an, a lot of analogies. Troygan Chupa, you, you know, famously used this analogy where he showed the students a photograph or a drawing or a painting, I can't remember. It was very simple, clear photograph, big space, you know, a sky. And there was, there was one single bird you know, in this photograph. And he asked the class, what do you see? And of course they all said, bird because <laughs> there's like only one bird and he said yeah there's a bird but you know 99% of this photograph is space right most of it's all space but we don't we don't actually see this space and this is partly like biological it's part like for survival we don't see space so much we see objects we don't see this space and actually we don't really look for stillness much either. We actually look for things that are animated, part of our survival mechanism. If you're looking out in the field and there's a person in the field or an animal in the field and they're still, we have a really hard time picking that out. But once that thing starts to move, we can pick it out very quickly. We're actually trained to see movement. We're not trained to see stillness. We are trained to see objects we are not trained to see space. We're not trained in that. When we look out in our external world, we're actually taking, looking at individual objects all the time, right? We're just taking inventory of individual objects all the time. And we're kind of drawing lines around them too, like making them into things all the time. And if something's moving within that spaciousness, we're gonna pay particular attention to that movement more than anything else, more than the object, more than the spaciousness, more than anything, if it moves, we're gonna notice this externally. The same thing applies when we turn the mind on the mind. So when we turn the mind inward, it's the same thing. Even though 99% of the mind can be space, we see the objects and we see the objects in movement, right? We see the thoughts, the emotions, the visions, you know, the, 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 the mental fabrications and all of these things, they occupy the attention of the mind. If we want to know this, the, the mind as space, if we want to know the mind as stillness, we have to learn to pay attention to stillness. We have to pay attention to space. And this is very key. We are not meditating to still the mind at all, ever. We are meditating to recognize that the mind is already still. We're meditating for the recognition that the mind is in stillness already. We're not cultivating any kind of stillness. We're, act, we're just meditating to re recognize that part of the mind that's already in stillness. This is, this is why we're, we're meditating. And this is, this is a, a something that's very difficult to describe because we're, we're, we're in such a doing mode all the time and we're trying to cultivate this experience instead of recognizing what's there. Recognizing what's there just like we recognize. Looking at the sky, there might be all of this space. We look at, up at space and the stars, we see the stars, we don't see the space. Same thing in the mind. Same thing. So I've kind of outlined a little bit. This is just very off the top of my mind from my own little practice, you know, of, of maybe seeing the stages of moving from this habitual grasping onto objects and things and, and whatnot, and then moving in, in the mind as well. And then moving towards this recognition of, 
of the quality and mind that's already at ease and already still. The first stage is, is ignorance. You know, the, the first stage that our regular um, habit is completely blind to any idea of awareness, of wakefulness, and is all object-based. It's all, you know, subject-object-based. Things are arising in our awareness and we are um, just grabbing onto them and that there's no sense, there's no space like mind even, uh, we're not even open to that because there's no mindfulness, there's no wakefulness, right? So there's no opportunity for spaciousness. The second stage is that we're introduced to awareness, we're introduced um, maybe to, to mindfulness. We accidentally stumble upon some kind of path of, of meditation or whatnot. Um, and really it's all downhill from there, right? <laughs> um, uh, it could feel that way for a long period of time. Like, well, what did I do? You know, wow, now that I'm open to this, this is the third stage is that the third stage is now that we're aware, we're like, oh my gosh, I'm crazy, you know, almost, I wish, can I turn this back off and, and just forget again? Um, you know, as Trungpa Chupa would say, say too, you know, it's best not to, not to start the path at all, right? But now that you've begun, you have to finish now. Because <laughs> the third stage is, is actually being awake and even though we have this wakefulness, which, in, which now we have access to this, this space-like quality of mind and this really expansive quality of our own beingness, again, just because our, we're, we're looking, that's not what we're seeing. Just like we're looking outside of ourselves, we have eyes and we have an opportunity to see the space, but we don't see it. Same way, when we wake up in meditation, all we see is um, the, 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 the chaotic aspects of, of mind, right? It's very busy and all this stuff. So the next stage is that we're recognizing all, all of that. And this is when we go to our teachers and we say, oh my God, I'm nuts. <laughs> um, I didn't think it was gonna be like this. It's really hard and so much stuff's coming up. and." And uh, maybe too much to even even deal with, and I'm seeing um, all of the all of this neurosis and whatnot. And and this is where usually the, our teachers will say, "Oh yeah, but um, if you're getting this huge piece that you're going to really rely on for the rest of your entire path, and it's called it's called love and it's called compassion. It's called love and compassion. This is usually when we get the love and compassion really." Filling up our beingness, hopefully, we get this instruction. Love and compassion is this way to kind of soothe uh, the, the mind. It's kind of a soothe our relationship, actually, I should say. It's really soothing our relationship to what's coming up and what's arising. It, kind of, it gives us this, this really extremely important uh, methodology to to deal with what's arising you know we cannot we cannot be with we cannot hold we cannot investigate we cannot move past you know what's actually there without this this energy of loving kindness and compassion and this loving kindness and compassion does something very interesting which is this softening of the edges right? it gives us this expansiveness because it is this spacious quality but also there's this tenderness, this kindness, there's a softening. It's almost like if we're taking a, um, you know, a hard food or something like this, and then when you put it in boiling water or whatnot, it softens it and then you eat it. In the same way, loving kindness and compassion begins to soften up uh, these things that are happening in the mind. We become a little less scared of them, a little less fearful. Uh, and then we can start digesting them. And actually, uh, this is the wisdom. This is insight. This is vipassana. And we start digesting them and we move them, we transform them. It's kind of an alchemy that takes place. We transform them from 
from fear, we transform them from aversion, we transform them from uh, attachment. We start to transform them by this loving kindness and awareness. And we're starting to see, see through them a little bit. So the fifth stage would be, we start to see through them a little bit. And this is our first glimpse into space. We start to notice that there is a, a noticer. We start to notice that there's awareness. Like when it might, it might seem for some that have been on the path quite a while, it might seem very mundane or something that of course there's awareness and what we're looking at. But actually this is a unbelievable moment. That very, very, that first moment of recognizing, whoa, I know I'm not my thoughts. I'm not my emotions. I'm not my body sensations. I could be with this something, but not follow this something. I don't need to believe that thought. These things are amazing. I could rest in awareness. So this is the fifth stage. So now we're seeing the spaciousness. Now we've seen for the very first time there's space and there are objects that are arising within that space. Little by little, we start to see the reliability, a few things that happen. We start to see that awareness is much more stable, actually. Awareness is way more stable than the objects. But more than anything, we're starting to realize experientially, and this is kind of the unteachable part, that we are starting to realize experientially by tasting, by the very the taste of this, this awareness, we're starting to experience by, by releasing those, those objects, by not, through attention, by not tending to the objects anymore. This is by re releasing the thoughts, releasing the emotions, cutting off the thoughts, by releasing them. Now, in the moment in that, of that liberation of a thought, where we're not attending through our attention to these objects, when we tend to the space-like quality of mind, innately within that, there's characteristics, there's qualities that are pleasant. And we're gravitating to them. We're gravitating again to what I mentioned was that we're not cultivating in any way stillness. We're not trying a meditation to still the mind. We are recognizing that this stillness is present. And when we do, and when we rest there, we're starting to realize that this is better. This is better than all the grasping onto the other things that are very, very volatile. Even our fantasies, which we once enjoyed, this is better. Peace is better. Calm is better. You know, than this, than this um, kind of addiction to the peak experiences, even the lows, you know, we kind of, there's some charge, you know, about even when we're in, the, in a negative way, you know, very, mind the mind wants to grasp to these very strong tendencies they're very seductive in a positive or negative way so the path therefore is moving from object-based attention to minding the, the mind itself. And again, this is the, the mind itself and the objects within it. You know, obviously when we mind the mind, this is not separate from the objects. Form is emptiness, emptiness is form. It's not, sep it's not separate from. The objects arise within it, falling away, but we never lose the awareness of the awareness itself, finding stillness here.
So my interesting stopping point, I had a little one of those things to go over, but I do wanna maybe go into breakout rooms because if I get on this next thing, it might take too long. Um, so I think it's good. I think that's, that's a nice little spot um, to go into breakout rooms and just see how this is landing for all of you. And then we can come back as a larger group. So yeah, I'm gonna give us plenty of time. So what we wanna, what I want um, for you to maybe to, to contemplate is two things, the pull, like the, the pull towards um, the non-space qualities um, of, of, um, of mind. So like the pull to external things and where do, where do they lead? Like, where, where, like where, what pulls you out of your kind of resting in the natural state of your awareness, of your mindfulness? And where do those lead you as far as, you know, uh, sustainable contentment? And then maybe checking in to the times when you have felt a sense of at-easeness, maybe in, in meditation or otherwise, when you're just maybe in the, in the present moment, recognizing the space-like qualities of mind, the non-grasping parts of mind, and, and talking, about, talking about that. So like our attention, we can kind of work out why should our attention be more towards a space-like quality of mind compared to this uh, things that we have attachment and aversion towards. That makes sense? Welcome back. I think we're all back. <clears throat> um, a little feedback, but yeah, anyone want to uh, just talk for the, from the big group of what came up for them? Yeah, Don. Yeah, well, that was wonderful. Oh, thank you also, Casey. That was very compelling and beautiful. Um, I guess what I would say is, without really sharing any particulars about what my cohort shared, is that there, for me, there was a realization that oftentimes the, the thought forms, although they might look different, from, they do look different, from individual to individual that they're serving the same purpose, which is trying to feel okay and trying to feel safe. Overall, trying to feel well and trying to create that sometime in this created future. So that was a really kind of cool realization. And um, I think both individually and collectively that this is true. This is what drives a lot of, I would say everything is a sense of, is, is wanting to feel secure. I would say that on the macro level as well. Um, so that was a really neat thing. And I, I guess I wish we would have had more time to explore what happens. We really were, we had a lot of very rich discussion around that piece and only like a little bit about what happens with the spaciousness and the qualities that are present and that ground that space, but so that's it. Great, great, thank you. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. <laughs> and I think Richard has his hand, had his, has his hand up. Yeah, I, interesting, I've, I've <laughs> one of those moments in life, I, I, I guess I've been doing this, um, I wouldn't say incorrectly, but I've been finding my way in a different way. Um, this whole thing about looking for spaciousness in my mind has um, not really been what I've been doing at all. So um, I guess my process has been about having the things come up and sorting them and trying to uh, attribute, you know, what the you know, if it's causing me suffering or distraction or, or what, what, why that is, um, 
but I haven't really been looking for, I don't know if the intention has been looking for spaciousness. I have been trying to um, just pursue awareness. So I guess awareness of spaciousness is a new level for me that I, I'm not sure how it's gonna go, but I guess I'll give it a shot. Yeah, and, and just, just for some clarification there, it's, you know, attending to, and I could see how, you know, I was pointing to it specifically about we need to tend to spaciousness. Um, but actually this is not even like a verb. It's, it's, um, it's actually, it's, it's automatically present, this spaciousness, when we release the attention towards object. So when we liberate and let go of the, the thoughts and emotions and, and whatnot, we're automatically there. So this is the one thing that we do not need to, to do or to grasp or to cultivate uh, or to make up. And even, even this recognition, there could be recognizing of the recognizing, <laughs> which is more doing. Like, am I recognizing this right? You know, am I actually really just with awareness? Is it so this, this takes continual uh, surrender and so surrendering to the pure experience of mind that is just naturally as it is. So this is, it, it, it's really moving into the, more, the most subtle aspect of our beingness really. And it's also the most, it's actually at the forefront. It's actually the most available. It's actually omnipresent, omnipresent. And yet it's the most subtle thing because it's the complete abandonment of any and all imputation, reification of anything. The moment that we grasp onto something as a thing, there's this intense reification, it's reifying. Um, it is making something out of nothing kind of, kind of a thing. And yet by abandoning all of that, we're attending to that space-like quality almost he, well, not almost, but completely without, without effort. The only efforting comes from non-grabbing. This is the only efforting. The abiding state is actually a profound relaxation. Of, when I see relaxation, not even as like relaxing the body or anything like that, just but completely releasing any, any idea that anything needs to be done at all. We're just relaxing in 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 this way, like um, kind of like yeah, relaxing our hold around something, you know. Thank you, uh, Mindia. Did you have a hand raised? Yeah. Cool. Hi. Hi. Okay. <laughs> uh. So uh, I chaired in my group uh, a few mornings ago. I was laying in bed trying to sleep and uh, there was this construction started banging and drilling. Of course I reacted and was thinking, oh, these people can't start later. <laughs> anyway, so I thought, okay, what are my options? I could get up, no, I could, Try and go back to sleep, no. And I thought, right, and let me meditate. And then I, I actually did this practice. I was trying to focus on the quiet space in between the noise. And it really was very helpful. I was less frustrated. I was more calm. I don't think I fell back asleep, but I at least felt like, oh, I'm, I'm doing something productive and I'm more relaxed. And then I would forget, there would be minutes that would go by there was no construction and I, I didn't even realize it got quiet for that long because my mind started wandering and the noise would start and I would come back to the space. So it, it was, yeah, it was helpful. That was very practical. Great, thank you. Yeah. So before I forget then, if we think we're done sharing, um, I want to remind everybody it's on it's in the newsletter and there might be a, a Facebook page or a Facebook post about it. 
Hold on, I gotta get to my text from Wendy this morning. So Wendy is teaching, do you remember the name of that one, Don? Yeah, it, it's on compassion, maybe compassion in challenging times, yeah, something like this, I think. And it's, of course, it's online. It starts on June 2nd uh, at 10 a.m. And it is on Tuesday mornings. I think there's four of them or maybe maybe five. So June 2nd, 10 a.m. Um, on Compassion. And it's through Inside LA. So if you want to register for that, it'd be Wendy Block. And it is through Inside LA. So you can register through the Inside LA portal. And it's definitely on the newsletter that went out this week. So you can register for that there. And now that I've done that, you can still ask a question. <laughs> we have a few minutes left or, or have a, a comment or insight or whatnot, if you like. If not, we'll just close with a prayer. I just want to say that um, your guidance this morning was really helpful in helping me to drop in. Great. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Shannon. And then Anthony, did you have your, your hand? Yeah, up? I just wanted to say I enjoyed your talk. Uh, it was better than mine. <laughs> and um, said that he taught on the same subject yesterday, yeah. and I said, oh, your talk was probably better than mine. <laughs> so <laughs> now we're going back and forth. So. Right. Um, but, um, you know, it's just, it's a wonderful uh, practice, you know, and I think as time goes on, you you notice changes in the way you meditate or in your, your focus. And very early on, like you said, you know, there's a lot of focus on the objects. And then later, you know, everything that comes into your mind is okay. You just notice it, let it go. And you start to realize that the, the most permanent thing is the space. Everything else is impermanent. Um, and when you look for self, you can't find it. There's nothing to grasp onto. It's just, you know, there's a thought there, a feeling there. But where's the master of this body? You can't find it. Um, so all of the Dharma that you read about, you can experience sitting on your cushion. So that's pretty cool. Thank you very much, Casey. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. And, you know, I really love that, the, the, the selflessness aspect. You know, it's not there to unground us or, you know, it's actually there to free us because when we see this, that object grasping, you know, it's kind of like we're trying to protect something most of the time. Um, you know, we're trying to build something up and we don't really need to, we're, we're already at peace. And and so it's so it's so important that sometimes and that we look into that, like where where is the self that we're looking to protect or feed, you know, um, egoically, you know, maybe, Maybe we're already free once we notice that it's not, it's not there. Yeah, there's so much freedom to that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right, let's just end, let's finish this sadhana. So we began with, with a fairly traditional sadhana and you can allow your eyes to close. Began with intention, or intention for the practice. And at the end of the meditation, you can dedicate the merit, you dedicate the fruition. You can dedicate the sum, the ripening of the practice. You dedicate it to the manifestation of that intention. And just do this by willing it to, to be, but I dedicate the merit this time together to the fruition of all of your intentions. May all of your intentions ripen for the benefit of all beings. And the second aspect of closing a session is to share the merit. 
thinking of all the beings, whether in, in our Sangha, of our friends, our family, our, our enemies, the difficult people in our lives, and all of these beings that are just trying to survive today, they don't have the luxury of meditating, practicing. We talked about how rare and precious this is. So we have to share this energy. Anything that we've experienced that's been positive, our time together. Through our intention, let's share it with all beings. May all beings everywhere without exception May they all be happy. May they all be free from suffering. Thank you all so very much. Uh, thank you, Casey. Welcome, thank you. Um, we will be starting Friday uh, meditations too. Not, not this Friday, but um, a Friday coming up um, next, next Friday. And I unmuted everyone so we all say goodbye to each other. <laughs> next Friday. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Casey. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Casey. Thank you so much. Thank you, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> <Ready>? <laughs> Casey, what about Friday? Yeah. We're going to do morning meditations Friday starting the 29th. So actually, it is this upcoming Friday. Yeah. And um, it's seven. Seven to seven, yeah, seven to seven thirty on mm -hmm. Fridays. We're going to add additional days too. We're going to start with Fridays though. So let's sit together. It's it's going to be on Facebook. It'll be in the newsletters. We're going to be doing a separate reminder newsletter. Um, it'll be on Zoom, the same Zoom link. I think we're going to use the same one. Mm -hmm. We can hop on and we'll meditate together from seven to seven thirty on Fridays. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.